announcements there that uh, we've done a series this whole month of October called Inside Out, and it's been all about us as followers of Jesus living our life and receiving the love that God has given us and the grace and the mercy that he's poured into our lives and taking that and not keeping it for ourselves, but pouring it out and living inside out, that we would take what God has put in us and give it out to our society, to our circle, to our friends, to our family, to our places of work, and ultimately to all around the world. And we started with uh, talking about marginal living, and we talked about intentional living, and then last week I preached on responsible living, which was responding to the call of God on each one of our lives to, to live in this, in this way. And then today we're going to cap it off, we're going to bookend it today with talking about big picture living. And uh, in fact, we have a big picture of the church that we've been putting up every week that, uh, that is on the screen. It's actually a drawing, it's not a picture, but that's, that's our church. And that's a representation of what we believe that this series represents, what our life is to represent, that we are that light that is coming out of the house of God, coming out of the church and affecting, going out into all of the areas that God will put in our life, in our society, in our community, and all over the world. And uh, we're so thankful that you guys have received this so well. We've got some really great feedback about this series. And uh, today we're going to finish it off. Our theme verse for the whole month has been the same verse. Hopefully you know it by now, but uh, I'm going to read it again. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, just in honor of reading the Word of God. It's out of Philippians 2, and verses 3 and 4. This is Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We've all got that aced already, right? Uh, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And, you know, we, we take this verse out of context a little bit, but the, the idea of this verse is not that we would, you know, um, look out for others' interests so that we would just be nice and that people would think that Christians are nice people and church people are just nice people that are willing to give and go above and beyond. But, and that's part of it, but it's also, it's ultimately, it's about advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is one of the aspects, one of the keys to advancing the gospel is that the world would see that we're not just about ourselves. We're not just about coming together into our nice little club, but we are about going out into the world and sharing and spreading the gospel and the love and the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's who we are. And this, this series we're doing is not something we're doing just to, to throw out a, a token monthly mission series or outreach series, but this is who we are. And our prayer is that this would be, uh, this month would be something for all of us that would be a catalyst in our life that would help us to live a lifestyle of living inside out. So would you pray with me this morning as we continue on in our time today? Father, we love you. We thank you for this wonderful, wonderful opportunity to come together, God. We're so blessed to be able to come into this place and not worry about persecution or prosecution or anything, Lord. We can come here and worship you freely, and it is a blessing, and it is a privilege, God. And we thank you for that privilege today. I pray you would do your work in our hearts. I pray you'd move me out of the way so you can do your work. And I pray that that work that you're doing in each one of our lives would be sealed by your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Before you're seated, look to someone and say, it's time to start thinking big picture. And say it like you mean it. <laughs> All right, don't say it mean, though person in the front row that I'm not going to say her name, Alicia. Okay. So we decided to do this series, as I was saying, not just something enjoyable, but that would make a difference in our life, not to help us to see. And I'm not even going to assume that you guys don't already know this, but to be reminded, I guess that we are not meant to just be consumers 
as followers of Jesus, right? We're not, church is not meant to be something that we come to and we just consume. We do get to receive, but the idea of a consumer is just that we just take all the time. We're not called to be just consumers. We're, meant, we're called to receive, and then we're called to take it out. We're called to use what God has given us to make a difference in our world. It is, it is incumbent upon the church to not become apathetic and to not think that, well, you know, I just love Jesus and, and God's will, he, he's going to accomplish what he wants to do. We can't assume that God's will is just being accomplished around the world because oftentimes God's will is not accomplished around the world. You know, the only place that God's will is always accomplished is in heaven. And Jesus reminded us of this when he told us, when he told the disciples how to pray. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he said, and you guys all know this, it's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. What? As it is in heaven. So it's already being done in heaven, but he tells us to pray that it would be done on earth. If it was already done on earth all the time, we wouldn't have to pray it. Right? So we are the ones that God uses to help fulfill his will in the lives of those people out there. Those people that don't know, haven't experienced the redeeming love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And so we have to be so intentional to make sure that we don't get consumed with our own life. Because I really want us to think bigger. I want us to think big picture, church. I want us to be known as a church where we don't just think about ourselves, but we think about our community and our world. And I can say that we already do to a large degree. We have a wonderful uh, history in this church. Pastor Bowen set the standard a long time ago that we're not just going to be an inward-focused church. In fact, that picture I put up there of the church, that was a replica or a, a redo of one that Pastor Bowen did about 15 years ago. That we were not going to be inward-focused, we were going to be outward-focused. We have a wonderful history of that. And man, when I, when I took the reins here, that was first and foremost in my heart is that we would keep that going that we would always be known as a church, that we're always outward focused. We're always looking to help share the gospel. We're always looking to help expand God's kingdom. We're not about New Hope's kingdom. This church has never been about New Hope's kingdom and it never will be. Glory to God. The, uh, the overwhelming majority of people, we live kind of in a bubble, right? Kind of, we live in our little comfort zone. We have the, those things that are in our life that are right around us all the time, our family, our friends, our job, our school, or the tests we have to take this week, the things we're dealing with, the things we're going through. That's, we live in that little bubble, right? And it's, I'm, I'm here today hoping that we can burst that bubble. You know, when someone says to you, hey, I don't mean to bust your bubble, but they're about to drop some truth on you that you probably don't want to hear, right? Well, I would say I don't want to burst your bubble, but I do want to burst your bubble today. So I want us to get out of this, this small thinking because that is the tension that we deal with because there's always things in our life that are demanding our time and our attention, right? But we're not meant to stay in this little bubble all the time. There's a comfort zone there and that's okay. You know, it's okay that God has blessed us and we have things that are people that obviously we're gonna care about people that are close to us more than we're gonna care about people that live across the ocean that we don't know. It's okay to have that, but it can't be our sole focus. In fact, Jesus told us in Acts 1, verse 8, look what he says. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's close to you, in Judea, and in Judea, which is a little further out, and Samaria, which is a little further out, and to the ends of the earth. So we're not called to live, to stay in our bubble. It's okay that we have a Jerusalem. It's okay that we have a, a small circle in our life too, but it, that can't be our whole focus. 
We are meant to think big, have big picture thinking in our life. And see, the thing is, too oftentimes our happiness in our life depends on what's going on in that little circle. You know, if something in that little circle goes wrong, it can derail us or make us, you know, be unhappy. And, and I'm not saying that those things aren't real, those things close to us, but sometimes we really need to just get some perspective too. You know, somebody coined the phrase first world problems because we live in the U.S. and we got so many luxuries that so many people around the world don't have, you know, that we never have to think about most of the time. And so, but the problems we do have sometimes, when we get some perspective, we realize, well, that's really not that big of a deal. You know, the, some of the first world problems I was asking around a little bit, some of the staff and even some of my family, like, what are some first world problems you think of? And, you know, we thought about the fact that uh, some of us would complain that our Wi-Fi signal in our house doesn't get to all the rooms because our house is too big. That's a first world problem, Right. Move closer to the router, you know, um, or the fact that, you know, you order something on Prime and you really or on Amazon, you really need it to come the next day and you realize after you ordered it, it's not a Prime available. So you got to wait like a whole four or five days for it. What am I going to do? I'm going to have to go to Target and pick it up, you know, or this is one somebody said when you run out of water bottles at the house. Oh, that's brutal. We're going to die of dehydration. We don't have any water bottles. You know, we got a lot of first world problems, you know, running late for your manicure. I think that was one Joy said. That's a first world problem, right? <laughs> she didn't say that. I'm roasting her right here in front of everybody. God bless you. I love you, honey. Um, but we, we do. We have a lot of these things that sometimes can seem like a big deal. But if we could step back and, and do some big picture living, we realize some of the things we're dealing with aren't as big of a deal as we think they are. And see, this is why we did this series, because living inside out, the concept is so simple. You know, that verse in Philippians 2, it's so simple. Don't just look to your own needs. Look to the needs of others, too. It's like it doesn't take, you know, a five-year-old can understand what that means, right? But living it out is so complex and so layered in our society because there, there's so many things demanding our time and our attention and pulling at us. You know, we started out this series by uh, talking about marginal living. And it's funny because I kind of I hesitated a little bit even preaching that sermon because I thought, eh, I don't know if that's really going to resonate with people. The funny thing is, since I preached that, I've no question got the most feedback about that sermon than probably any sermon I've preached in the last six months because it resonated with people because we all know that, yes, I would love to live inside out. I'd love to live in such a way that I'm preferring people's needs over my own at times, but I don't have any margin. You know, my plate's so full, there's no room for that. And so what I do is I just kind of ignore it. I ignore the need and I just pray and ask God to help me, but I'm not intentional enough to necessarily do anything. And so living this out in our society is not easy to do because we have so many things demanding our attention. You know, I remember I used to think, I, I lived in such a bubble when I was younger, and I used to think that everybody was a Christian. And it wasn't until I was probably about 11 years old, one day at church, I heard the pastor say something about praying for people that don't know Jesus. And I had this revelation that, wait a minute, not everybody knows Jesus? How's that possible? Why don't they just come to our church? <laughs> And I remember, I remember thinking, I was like, so not everybody goes to church on Sunday and not everybody goes to Sunday school. There's people out there that don't know the story of Noses and, and Moses. Uh, did I say Noses? Noah? <laughs> I don't know what the story about Noses is. That's a, that's a child of Noah and Moses, I guess. Uh, Noah and Moses. Man. All right, reel back in. Um, but I thought, you know, people don't really know those stories, and, and sure enough, they don't. And that actually was one of the first steps in my life, even though I was a young kid, of stepping back a little bit and seeing, oh my goodness, there's a whole world out there that I don't know. You know, I live in this little bubble in my little society, in my little community in, in northern Ohio, and I just, 
I didn't know anything outside of that, which at 10 years old or 11, it's, that's probably not abnormal. But that really set me on a course to really wanting to live my life in such a way where I would give my life and a portion of my life to make sure that I did my part to, to share the gospel and that people would know the gospel and hear the gospel. But if we're not intentional about living outside of this bubble, we never will. We have to be intentional. And I pray that this series resonates with you and that, that the Lord does seal this in our heart and makes a difference in our life, not just on a Sunday morning. So I want to give you three building blocks to big picture living this morning. Three building blocks to big picture living. And the first one is we have to start by recognizing that we don't have the whole picture. We have to recognize that we don't have that whole picture. This is the foundation that we embrace to being able to really have big picture living. This is not news to any of you. You all know you don't have the whole picture. We all know that, but we have to embrace it and start from here to be able to really get an understanding of what it looks like to have more of a big picture perspective in our life. Uh, you know, in the spiritual realm, there's a whole realm out there spiritually that we know very little about. You know, we know what the Lord reveals to us. We know what he's revealed through his word, and that's wonderful and gives us what we need. But there's a lot of aspects of the spiritual realm that we'll never understand or never see until we're face to face with Jesus. And that's okay because we trust that God gives us what we need, right? And he has. But there's also the physical realm. that we don't, There's so much that we don't see. And, you know, those things that we don't see, those people that we don't see because they're not in our immediate circle, those people matter to God. They matter to him just as much as you matter to him. And he has called us to be part of the solution. You know, the internet age has made the world smaller than it's ever been. You know, you can communicate with someone across the ocean just like that, just as if they're sitting right next to you now. And we could see news, the news happens so fast now, so we could see a lot of things, but there's still only so much you can really get perspective of by seeing it on a computer screen, right? It's, if you don't see it in person, there's still a, a large aspect of it we don't, you don't understand or, or don't get a feel for. I know for me, I've been very blessed. I was a, I've been able to go to right around 30 countries in my life. I spent uh, five years full-time doing missions work and, and got to travel a lot to different countries just sharing the gospel. Not all those 30 countries were missions trips. Some of them were vacations, which I'm thankful for too. But, uh, but I was able to go to many different places to help expand my view. I, and even in that, though, I realized that I still don't see everything. But seeing some things... <laughs> really opens your eyes to what's out there. And you know, sometimes that can even bring confusion or frustration because when you see the poverty, man, I remember going to some countries, some of these developing nations and seeing the poverty that's there and just thinking, how is this even possible? I never worry about whether or not I'm not gonna be able to eat a meal. And there's so many people here that don't. There's, there's still people in the US that have that concern too. But you can go to countries where the whole country or, or a large majority of the country is wondering if they're gonna have a meal for dinner. And to see that, it can actually, if we're not careful, it can actually make some people step away from God and say, well, if God, how can you allow that? How can you even allow that kind of suffering in this world? If you're really a loving and good God, how can you even allow it? And, and it can cause us to not want to have a big picture of you because we don't want to have to think about it. Or we, we don't want it to come, maybe draw us away from God or cause us to be frustrated with God. But here's the thing, church. At the end of the day, we have to trust that he's sovereign. We have to trust that he's good in the midst of those trials, of the midst of those horrible things we see, the corruption and, and darkness and evil all over the world. We have to trust that his ways are higher than ours. And, and frankly, part of the reason it's such an issue around the world is because the church, the global church, has not done its job. And I'm not, say, I'm not here to rebuke us and say we should be doing more, but I'm saying because the church has really done more than anybody else, but we're still not doing what we could do. I've always said if the church did its job in the United States, we wouldn't need 
a lot of the government welfare programs because the church would be doing it for them. And we wouldn't have to do all those things, you know. But the church just hasn't always done its job to make sure that a lot of the needs around the world are met. But we have to trust in God's sovereignty. In fact, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, and he said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. His ways are so much higher than ours. We can't even, to think that we could be mad at God about something is laughable because we, don't, we see so, so small amount of the great picture. And we can trust him. We can trust that he loves all of those people. We don't have to understand to be able to trust him. We have to know that he is superior in every way and I am inferior in every way. And that it is all about him. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 24, everything is his. And, you know, we're not always going to understand, but we can trust him. I was, I was just in my Bible reading that I just do on a daily basis. I'm, I'm in Acts right now, and I love reading through Acts. And, and um, I was just reading as, as I'm seeing that, you know, Peter got put in prison, and a little later Paul gets put in prison, and, and he gets out, and then a little later he gets put in prison again. And, uh, and I started thinking about all the people that were wrongly imprisoned in the Bible, or some of them, I should say. And, and I think about Joseph, who was imprisoned, you know, some say for as long as 12 years wrongfully imprisoned. I think about John the Baptist, you know, in, in, in all three synoptic gospels, it talks about John the Baptist being imprisoned wrongfully. And then we got Peter and Paul. And just interestingly, how, how each one of those situations was different, but God was in all of them. You know, Joseph was in prison for, like I said, as much as 12 years, but he had to have a divine encounter with the cupbearer of the king because a drought was coming and, and God needed Joseph to save many, many lives. And so he had a plan. Well, then John the Baptist goes to prison and he never gets out. He ends up getting beheaded. And John the Baptist loved Jesus. And then you got Peter who was in prison and, and an angel literally walked in the prison and took Peter by the hand and said, let's go. We're getting out of here and took him out. And Paul goes in and God uses an earthquake to shake open all the doors and all the chains fell off all the prisoners. If I was going to be in prison, I wanted to be in there when Paul was in there. And they, they didn't even walk out. They stayed in there because the guard was about to kill himself because he saw they were all going to escape. And he knew he was history. And they said, don't hurt yourself. We're here. And they stayed there. They actually got out the next day. Every one of these situations was so different. But God was sovereign in all of them. God was in every single one of them. And we can't put God in a box and think that because it doesn't make sense to us, it doesn't make sense. Right? We trust his sovereignty. We say, God, I don't get it. My prayer, I pray a lot when I say, God, I don't understand but I trust you. That's a very simple prayer that puts your heart in the place it needs to be. And we can definitely trust him. Jesus said in John 13, 7, he was wanting to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter said to him, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. That was the lowest act someone could do for someone. And Jesus was the, the leader. And look what Jesus said. He said, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. That's, it's that way all the time with us. I believe Jesus says that to us as his followers all the time. You don't understand what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And I think sometimes he even says, you're never going to understand until you're with me. But you may understand later, but you don't have to understand it right now. His ways are so much higher than ours, and we have to understand that we don't have the whole picture. And it's, it can be tough sometimes because that's a tension in our life because, you know, God asks us to trust in a God we don't really see. When in reality, we'd like to trust things we do see. Right? He tells us to love those that hate us. And there's times we'd like to hate those that hate us. Right? I'm not going to initiate it, but if you hate me, I, I'll hate you too. Right? 
That can be our nature. I mean, in a political season, you see it all over the place. See Christians coming unglued on social media. God says to love those people that we disagree with. I don't, know, I, and I don't always know how that looks, but I know it doesn't look like some of the things I see. But if we trust God, we know we can love those that we disagree with. We don't see the whole picture. The second building block is we have to have courage to ask God to let us see with his eyes. We start by understanding we don't see the whole picture. We don't see everything. But then we have to have the courage to ask him to let us see with his eyes. Oftentimes, we want God to see with our eyes. See, if we're in our bubble, if we're in our little comfort zone, we can be consumed with wanting God to take care of our little things. I don't want to see with your eyes, God. I want you to see through my eyes and see what I'm dealing with and fix it. And God says, I want you to see with my eyes. But that takes bravery. It takes courage because that is not in our nature to do. Because when you see you with God's eyes, it's going to change you. It's going to change your perspective. It's going to change the things that are important to you. It's going to change your priorities. But even in the church, sometimes we bought the lie that we are supposed to live our best life now. And if, if you're wanting to live your best life now, that is you in your little comfort zone asking God to take care of everything in your zone. I don't want to live my best life now. If, if, I mean, I live a pretty good life. My life's good. If this is the best it gets, that's not good enough. I want my best life to be in eternity. And the Bible's very clear that how I live this life is going to determine my eternity. Right? Even, not just my salvation, but also my rewards. And I want that to be my best life. Because this life on this earth, the Bible says it's a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It's nothing. The best this world has to offer is nothing compared to what it's going to be like in eternity. So I want my best life to be in eternity, not here. But we have to be brave enough to ask God to open our eyes. Because if he opens our eyes... Then we'll see things the way God sees. Because our mission and our purpose in life will always be what we see. What you see is what is going to be what drives you in your life. And if you only take time to see those things staring you in the face, that's going to be your purpose. But church, you were made for so much more than that. We're made for so much more than just living our best life now. You know, when I was, uh, I got the opportunity to go to India with the church, there was a few of us from the church that went back in, I think, 2012. And uh, man, my eyes were opened in some ways. And now I'd been on multiple, many trips before this one, but there was something about this trip that really, really opened my eyes in a greater way. Maybe it was because I got to a level of maturity and was able to see it too, I don't know. But uh, we worked with this ministry that went around uh, the capital city, Mumbai, uh, feeding kids all over the city. And they'd take a bus and they'd take, go to these areas where they knew kids were and they'd feed them and they'd teach them English but they'd use the Bible and they'd use Christian literature to teach these kids English. So they were sharing the gospel with these kids as they're feeding them. Wonderful ministry. And we went along with them one day, went to the first place and we did our thing and, and it was really cool and, and neat. And these kids were excited to see us and we fed them, we played with them a little bit. And then after about 45 minutes, the leader said, okay, let's pack up. We got to go to the next one. Cause they went to about 10 or 12 places around the city every day. And, uh, so we packed up and we're leaving. As we're leaving, I remember looking out the back window of the car and seeing all the kids just kind of standing there watching us as we left. And I asked the leader, I said, so where do these kids go now that we've left? You know, and where, do they, where, where do they go? And he said, what do you mean, where do they go? I said, well, you know, do they have some place they live or sleep? And he said, no, these are street kids. They have nothing. Like the meal we fed them, that's all they get. That's all they get. They have no parents, there's no adults. They live on the streets. And you know, if you, if you know anything about India, you know, they have slums where uh, they call them slums, where, where people live. It's just makeshift shelters where people just 
you know, they got a little tiny roof over their head and they, they live in those places and they're, they're, they're low quality of living, to say the least. He was telling me, he said, for these kids, if they were able to somehow find a way to live in the slums, it would be a huge upgrade for their life. And it absolutely broke my heart. I felt my heart in my chest getting heavy because I just couldn't believe it. It was just hard to believe that, that there was a society that would allow, and we're talking not 20, 30, 40, 100 kids, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of kids every day that live in the streets like that with nobody. And my eyes were opened to the need in a way that, that, that changed me. It, it, it wrecked me. I mean, I came home, I remember coming home from that trip and just sitting in the living room talking to Joy and I'm just bawling my head off because I just couldn't believe it. And, you know, you start to feel helpless, like, what can I do? And, you know, we've supported that ministry as a church. We supported it for a while too. And, you know, we've done what we can do. But when, when we ask God to let us see with his eyes, man, everything changes. You're not, you're, you're ruined for the ordinary. You're ruined. It's not so much anymore about making sure you have the newest edition of the car that you want as much as it is making sure you can meet needs of people that are, you don't have to see them every day, but you know they're there. And it's so important that we do that. Ephesians 1.18, the Apostle Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. This is a supernatural work in our lives, church. Only God can do this. Only God can open our, the eyes of our heart to see things the way he sees them. If you're not a follower, if you're not a born-again believer in Jesus, this is something that can't even be done. You can't have your eyes, the eyes of your heart open to see what God, how God sees until you're one of his. And once we're one of his, he will do that if we ask him. But it's scary. And it takes courage to be able to do it. Beautiful thing. You know, there's and, so yeah, I want to read a verse in Colossians 3. These are the words of Paul to the church in, in Colossia. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So why do we set our hearts on things above? Because we died. If we call ourselves a follower of Jesus today, the only way to become a Christian is for you to die. You have to die a spiritual death. You have to die to yourself. You have to die to your own desires, to your own needs, to your own wants, and you give yourself to somebody else, namely Jesus. And when we do that, we die to ourselves. So we don't have the, we don't have the choice or the right to try to decide what's best for us. We set our minds and our hearts and our eyes on things above. And when we do that, good things happen. And God uses us for his glory. It's not about being the most talented or the most equipped, but it's about being available. You know, I uh, want to share one more mission story that I have. I went to my very first missions trip. I was about 18 years old. I went to the Philippines. A group from my church, my home church, went out, went out over there, and I went with them. And I was all excited. I just really given my heart to Jesus, and I was excited about going on this trip. And like I said, I'd been living in this bubble my whole life. And I got over there, and I realized, whoa, there's a lot more to this world than what I know. And uh, one of the first places we went in Manila was what they call it Smoky Mountain. Many of you probably even heard of it. It's a, literally a trash dump in the city where they take the trash and tens of thousands of people live on the dump. And they live there because when the trash trucks come in, they get the trash, they look through it, try to get food, or maybe something they could salvage to sell so they can buy food. 
And we went there, we were giving candy out to the kids. They told us we're going to do this. And as we're driving up, I remember a couple of trash trucks came in as we were pulling in. And you should have seen the kids running to these trucks. They literally jump on the truck as it's moving and hang on until it gets to where it's going and stops and dumps it so they get the first dibs of all the trash coming out of these trucks. And I remember it messed me up so bad. I mean, I was an 18-year-old naive kid, didn't have the first clue. And I saw this and I thought, there's no way. There's no way this is real. But I came, it quickly learned it was very, very real. And it, poverty is a very big deal in places like Manila and, and around the Philippines. And uh, I remember that whole trip just really messed me up, to say the least. And I remember on the plane right on the way home, I was sitting next to my, my pastor went on the trip too. And I was sitting next to him and, and he was asking me, you know, what I thought of everything. And I was just telling him how, how bad I felt. I said, I just feel so guilty that, that I don't have to live like that, you know, and that there's nothing I can do. And I feel bad that I'm, that I'm just a spoiled American kid, you know, that doesn't really want for anything. And uh, his words to me at that point really have stuck with me ever since. He said, you don't ever, ever have to feel bad for being blessed. Because if you're blessed, that means God's blessing you, right? So don't feel bad for being blessed. Don't feel bad for being born in the United States. Don't feel bad for having some of the amenities and the niceties and the privileges that we have of living in this country. Don't ever feel bad for that. But you have to make sure that you use your blessing to be a blessing. Just like God did for Abraham. He blessed him to be a blessing. Amen? And church, it changed my life. I mean, one long after that, I went into missions because I realized I can't just take the things God has given me and just try to make my bubble a little nicer and a little more comfortable. But I want to have big picture perspective. I want to have big picture living where I am making a difference in the world, that my life would make an impact. And that's the third and final building block in my message today is that we would purpose in our heart to make our life count. Do you want to make your life count? I think we would all answer yes to that. You don't have to be a Christian to say, I want my life to matter, right? But the difference between when the world says that and when we say that is we want our lives to matter, not for our own legacy, not so people will remember us and how great of a person we were, but we want our life to matter because if our life matters, that means the, the kingdom of God has been expanded. That means the kingdom of God has been moved forward, that, that the kingdom of God is bigger because I lived and, and, I, and God used me for his glory. And that the kingdom of darkness has been affected too in a negative way. That we have gone in. You know, the Bible says that we will, uh, that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. That means the, God, the, the kingdom of God is advancing. We're going through the gates. We're going in there and we're taking people out of hell, right? By the glory of God, by the spirit of God. He is doing the work, but he's using us. He's using us to fulfill his work. And we need to purpose in our heart that we want our life to count for more than our bubble. More than our comfort zone. And last week we talked about expanding it out to the, our, our community here and the bridge and, and the, the opportunities we have here. And this week we're talking about the world. And I'm so thankful for this church because you guys, you give, you give so much to missions and outreach all the time. You know, we have a whole separate account in, our, uh, in the bank that's just for missions and outreach. And you guys, you see it, those of you that give on Secure Give, you see there's an option there to give towards missions and outreach. And, you know, I get a report every week from our financial administrator that shows what we got and where it's going and who, where it was designated. And every week, the first number I look at is usually the one that's missions and outreach because I'm always blown away. This church just continually, week after week after week after week, gives to that 
that account so that we can do things like support 1040 Hope Missions, so that we can do things like support the bridge, so that we can do things like support all these other ministries. We, we support a lot of ministries out there because we believe in it, but we couldn't do it without the seed that you guys sow. And I just want to thank you today for it. In fact, there's somebody else who wants to thank you too. Uh, he sent us a video. A lot of you, some of you probably remember Pastor Alfie. He's in South Africa. He's a Kenyan that uh, felt like the Lord was calling him to South Africa to plant a church. And um, he, he's been planting churches ever since. He, he raises up leaders and plants churches in these smaller villages in South Africa. And they're very remote. They're very poor, very poor. And uh, we've supported him off and on over the years. And a couple months ago, he, he sent me a message on Messenger. And he said, hey, uh, or no, I'm sorry. I, I reached out to him because the Lord just put him on my heart. Uh, ironically, the same day the Lord put his wife on Joy's heart, and she reached out to her too. We didn't even know we were doing it. So um, I said, hey, what, do you have some needs? And he said, yeah, actually, we have a church that we just launched uh, in the city of Umshalozi, and we've been meeting outside because we don't have a building and really need a building because it really validates the community will come if we get a building because they'll see we're not just a, a flash in the pan. We're not just coming for a few minutes, but we're going to stay there. And he said, but we really don't have the funds. And I said, well, how much do you need? And he told me. I went to the board meeting the next day, and I said, this is what he needs. And they said, let's do it. And we gave him the money to do it. We wired it the next day. And he's been sending me pictures ever since, showing me the, the progression of this building. And he is so excited. And so I asked him to send me a quick video just to, to address New Hope. So uh, watch the screen for just a second. One of the challenges of planting a church in this community, especially as the Pentecostal and charismatic church, is that it was hard to be taken seriously if you did not have a permanent building. And so what you have done by your generosity is established Nelspreet Lighthouse Church in Sholozi in this community. And two things have happened. The members of the church feel a sense of dignity. They have such pride in their building. And now they feel free to invite people to come to church. And secondly, in the community, we have now almost a higher standing because they can see we are serious. It's very interesting, but a permanent building is a declaration of intent that you are there to stay and you want to be part of that community. So thank you so much once again for your gift. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me, please, this morning as I, as I close us out? You know, this message of wanting to make your life count, I know that it, it resonates with us as followers of Jesus. I know it resonates because I know that we all know God puts something in us that when we give our lives to Jesus, we know that living the American dream is not enough. That it doesn't fulfill us. Some of you have maybe even achieved what you would say is the American dream. You're financially comfortable and you have everything you could want. And, and uh, you know, you might, you might wish you had a little more, but you really don't have any great needs. And you realize that it's, it's, it's good, but it's, it's not fulfilling. It just doesn't do it for us, especially as followers of Jesus. This, this message resonates because we know that we're created for more. We are created for more of a purpose than fulfilling the American dream. We're created for a purpose of fulfilling and expanding and glorifying the gospel. That our life would matter because Jesus was exalted in our life. That our life would matter because we gave of ourselves to help glorify Jesus. It's not about our kingdom. It's not about our legacy. It's not about our righteousness. It's not about our happiness. It's about glorifying him. And we know that. 
as followers of Jesus. And so I encourage you today, if, if that is resonating, don't, don't discount it. Don't think, oh yeah, this, this is good. But really commit to saying my life is gonna make a difference. I'm going to make it. Not everybody's called to go do what Ben does. Not everybody's called to do what Pastor Alfie does. Not everybody's called to do what Pastor Roger does. But, we, but the, the Great Commission is very clear and simple. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. He said, go and make. And how that looks for us is gonna be different for all of us. Some, you know, we're, we're all called to pray. I believe we're all called to give and some of us are called to go. But we have a part and our life can matter. And you know what I love about, I believe the principles of the word of God are clear that when we sow seed, when we give into a ministry like 1040 Hope or to Pastor Alfie and people are actually getting saved, you know, those people in those churches that he's doing, those aren't converts, those aren't transplants from another church. Those are new believers because he's going into places where there's not Christians. So they're, they're getting people saved. When we sow seed into that ministry and people are getting saved and there's a reward for that, we get part of that reward. We get part of it. I believe that with my whole heart. I've invested a lot of my life into that, believing that. It's not just about the person that goes because God knows not all of us can go. And the person that goes isn't more important than the person that sends. Not in God's eyes. So you just be faithful with what God's called you to do. So I'm gonna pray for you this, this afternoon. Just receive this prayer today. I just close your eyes, lift your hands if you're comfortable. Receive this prayer in Jesus' name. Father God, we do love you today and we thank you, God, that though we don't see the whole picture, Lord, we wanna be brave enough to ask you to let us see with your eyes, that you would break our hearts for the things that break yours. God, and that we would never be the same. And I pray, Father, that it would drive us to a place where we would want our life to count. We would want it to matter for your kingdom. We don't, we don't care about leaving a legacy for ourselves. We don't care if people say we left a, a good legacy on this earth. Lord, we want to leave a legacy for you and for your kingdom and for your glory. So God, would you do that work in our hearts today? Because it is a supernatural work that our eyes would be able to be enlightened to see you and to have your heart and to not, not set our minds on the things of this earth, but on things above. That's a supernatural work, Lord. Would you do it in each one of our lives today? By your spirit today, Lord, would you do a mighty work in our hearts? God, we give ourselves to you. We know it's not because of our, because we're good enough or because we're nice enough or because we care enough. It's because of your spirit in us. Acts 1.8 tells us that, that the spirit will give us the power to be your witnesses. We need your spirit to give us the power to be what we cannot be on our own. We thank you for that today, Lord. We thank you that you hear our prayer. Would you do your work in our heart? And I pray that this would be sealed, Lord, that it would not be something that we don't even think about after this church service, but it would make an impact in our lives as we move forward. Lord, we bless 1040 Hope today, God, that you would use that, that organization for your glory. God, that you should continue to use them as they share the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. Bless them, God. Bless them abundantly. In Jesus' name. We thank you for everybody here, God. We love you. We honor you. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen.